0: There. Okay, I'm Allison, and I'm a great floor recovering alcoholic. Hi, this booth is way too high. Okay, so um, stand. So um, I'm from Atlanta, and um, before I get started, there were a couple of things that they told me that were. Important things for me to remember when I do this, and uh, there are like four. One was my sobriety date. Uh, my sobriety date is uh, January 25th, 2002, so I have a little over 10 years of sobriety. Uh, my home group is the Alpharetta Unity Group. It's in Alpharetta, Georgia. If you're ever in Alpharetta, we meet Monday through Saturday at 12 noon, and it is a bunch of old timers, so be careful when you come in. Um, and then my sponsor. My sponsor is Kathy N., and um, my last drink. Those were the things that they told me were the most important things for me to know. And if I didn't know them, then I wasn't sober. So um, I got sober when I was 22. Um, I'm going to be 33 this year, and which is really old. But um, I never, ever, ever, ever thought that I would make it past 16. And so it's truly a miracle for me to be here today. Um, when I came into the rooms, I was um, a junior or a sophomore in college, and I came in because uh, I was dating this guy at the time, and um, he told me it was either him or the booze, and I didn't want to lose him. Ironically, I'm following the singles panel, so <laughs> we'll get there in a minute, but... Um, but, you know, I, I didn't want to lose him, so I knew what I had to do. And, and the last drunk that I had, um, I was in Athens, Georgia. Yes, at the UGA. Or, U- yeah. Um, and so, it was like any other weekend. I was doing everything that I had done before. Um, drinking till I blacked out, um, making a complete scene. And, uh, I remember I woke up in my friend's apartment, and it was really dark. And I thought to myself, okay, either I'm going to continue on down this path, drinking the way that I'm drinking, or I'm going to get sober. And so I knew what I had to do. <clears throat> so I came into AA at 22, and um, I remember the first meeting I went to. But but before I get to that piece, um, I'm going to tell you just a little bit about what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. Um... I was, I grew up with um, people who had, whose drinking bothered me. Um, I learned from our sister program, Al-Anon, uh, something that really meant a lot to me. Like, it's not my job to diagnose anybody as an alcoholic, and and thank God nobody ever did that for me, but um, I grew up in a family where people drank and it bothered me, and um, growing up in my house, I remember the first drink that I ever had. Uh, I was eight years old when I took my first drink. I came home from school. I think I was like in third or fourth grade, and every day I would come home, I'd sit down and watch The Brady Bunch. And if you've never seen The Brady Bunch, you gotta watch it. It's kind of cool show. Um, and I think it was the episode where Marsha got hit by the football and her nose swelled up really big. <laughs> yeah, it was that episode. But I loved The Brady Bunch because that was the family I wanted. Like that was the life I wanted to have. And so I'd sit down and watch the Brady Bunch, and, and on that day, just out of nowhere, I thought, you know what would go really good with this? A glass of scotch. Hmm, that sounds like a great idea at eight. So, um, I remember that day, and, and I remember it largely because it's, it's really easy for me to forget what it was like, um, Because I always wanted to not be an alcoholic. I mean, I didn't think when I was eight years old, I know what I want to be when I grow up. I want to stand in front of a podium and talk to everybody about my alcoholism. I didn't want that. Um, but I remember when I took that first drink and, and before that, I was this really like scared, anxious, like shameful, filled little girl. And, um, when I took that drink, all of that went away. And for a period of time, I didn't have to experience that anymore, so it was my solution. So as time went on, um, I was not a daily drinker at nine years old. Sorry, hate to tell you that, but um, I would drink periodically, and, and I started doing drugs when I was nine. And, and I'm not going to go into like specifically what my drug use is about, um, just out of respect for Alcoholics Anonymous. But um, there was some drug use, and nobody showed me. Um, I figured it out. I do believe that I was born with alcoholism. Um, I believe that to the bottom of my heart. So, life went on, um, and what happened during that time, my my brother went into treatment, and so my family got introduced to, to this concept of alcoholism and addiction. And I got introduced to that. And what I knew was, is that as long as I didn't drink and do drugs like my brother did, then I wouldn't be considered an alcoholic or an addict. And I was really good at this thing that it talks about in the big book too. Um, I had this like real, I was really good at having this double life. Um, there was this, there was this person that I presented to the world that was like this straight A student, um, played softball, got along well with everybody, really didn't make a mess of anything, like never really acted out. But then behind closed doors, you know, I was drinking scotch and doing drugs. Um, so nobody really knew. And, By the time I was in seventh grade, my parents um, had gotten divorced and um, my brother had gotten out of treatment and I was doing drugs or drinking on a daily basis. And my life was completely and totally out of control. But I will tell you, um, at that time, I did not think my life was out of control. See, because if you had parents like I did, then you would do the things that I did. Or if you had a life like I had, you would do the things that I did. And that was kind of like my driving force, you know. Um, so when I was 13, I got into a fight with my friend, and uh, this see, and this is like this is so like when I talk about this, it's like a whole nother life to me because today, like my solution is like in the 12 steps or in the traditions, <laughs> or with my higher power. Um, but my solutions then were like totally based out of selfishness or um, like you know pride and reverse that self-loathing. So when I was 13, my friend got mad at me because I told her boyfriend that she kissed another guy. And so my solution was, I know what I'll do. I'll kill myself. That's a great idea. Um, so I tried to kill myself. And I, I wound up in treatment for the first time at 13. So the cat was out of the bag. <laughs> Everybody found out that I was doing drugs and I was drinking. And at that time... You know, those empty promises. Uh, it was, it was, it it just happened a few times. I swear it won't happen again. The only reason I tested positive with all this stuff is because you guys caught me at the wrong time. You know, this isn't like a daily thing. Um, so I really tried to minimize it. But thank God, you know, everything happens for a reason. And um, when I was 13, I went to my first AA meeting. Um, I think one of the very first ones I ever went to was when I was younger, my mom um, asked me to go uh, with my brother because he started going to meetings and I think uh, being the good Al-Anon that she was um, she wanted me to go to make sure that he was going to his meetings so but I went into this meeting at 13 and I don't know how many 13 year olds you guys know <laughs> but if you know any of them what you know is that um, they don't really have a whole lot of insight um, so you guys are talking about things like honesty and like open-mindedness and like, there is, like, if I'm not the problem, there is no solution. <laughs> How am I, am 13 years old. Like, I'm just being like any other 13 year old. Um, I had a, I was a little bit entitled, but, so I go into this meeting and I'm sitting with people and, and I was what you, what I call a 30 day wonder. I would get 30 days and then I'd go back out and I'd get 30 days and I'd go back out. And, and I know now why that happened, but then I didn't know. And I would sit in meetings and I would cry and I would ask you guys, please, please just help me. Please just make this go away. And you guys would be really, really patient with me. And, um, but I never changed. You know, I, I heard this speaker once, and he, he said something that was really, really profound. And he said, you know, like at the end of the meeting, everybody says, keep coming back. It works if you work it. He said the one part that they forget to say is, um, and change everything. And I didn't get that. See, I thought that what needed to change was everything outside of me. So, like, if you change my parents, if you change my family, if you change my school life, if you change all of this, then I wouldn't have to do the things I did. Um, I did not get that it was because I had the disease of alcoholism. So I got a sponsor somehow. And I got this sponsor, and, and we're I still talk to her today, and she's an awesome lady. And, and she's a what we call a big book thumper. Um, I don't call it that anymore, but she was really into the book. And so... In this meeting that we go to, or that's in Atlanta, um, it's two rooms. And we went into the small room and we sat down. And she sat across from me, and 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 we were talking. And she said, "Now open up your book." So I open up my book, and you know, like the first page is blank. And she goes, "This is what you know about staying sober." And I'm like, "Yeah, I know that." <laughs> so are you going to help me? And uh, she asked me something that was really, really important. And she said are you willing to go to any lengths to stay sober? And I said, well, what does that mean? And she said, well, you know how, like, you'll ride your bike, like, 20, 30 miles across town to get drunk or high? Yeah. Well, would you do that to stay sober? I don't know. And then she said, would you be willing, like, you know how sometimes, like, when you're really struggling at school, like, would you be willing to not go to school? Like, you know, you skip school and you go get high. Would you be willing to do that if it was for your sobriety? And I'm like, well, maybe. Um, and so that's how it went. Um, you know, I wasn't really willing at that point. I wasn't really willing to change. So I continued to go to meetings. I memorized the big book, never worked the steps, never got a higher power, nothing. Um, and so as time went on, you know, I, I got back into that double life thing. Except now, um, my parents were kind of on to me. Um, I think at this point my mom had started going to Al Anon and she was discovering these things called, like, boundaries, um, where she would say, you know, like, if you want to live in my house, you have to be sober, you can't use drugs or drink. If you want to live in my house, you have to follow the curfew, all that kind of stuff, um, which really sucked for me. So um, so time went on, and, uh, and I was still doing that in-and-out thing, and, and I would get, like, a couple of days. And in my mind, you know, I, I thought that an alcoholic was someone who Drink and use drugs every single day. And they had these things, these consequences that people talked about at meetings. Say, I looked at all the differences and not the similarities. Like, all these old people, who are probably my age now, but all these old people are sitting there talking about how they got like these DUIs. I was like, I don't even drive. And then they're talking about how um, they lost this CEO position. And I'm like, what is a CEO? Um, or they lost their spouse. And I'm like, okay, like, so I don't have a boyfriend, big deal. Um, I mean, the biggest thing that I had done was, yeah, okay, I tried to kill myself and I wound up in treatment, but I didn't get a DUI, I didn't get any of that stuff. So I wasn't really looking at all the similarities, I was really looking for the differences. And so um, eventually, you know, as time went on, I I did continue to drink and use. And, and it wasn't an everyday thing, like I was saying, I, I was really binging at that point. You know, I'd go like a week, and then on the weekends, like, during that week, though, my thinking—that was the biggest piece for me. My thinking was so centered around alcohol and drugs; it consumed me. I planned it. I saved money. Um, my thought was, "Okay, I can make it to Friday because on Friday I know this is going to happen." And I would just—I would just go out. Um, and a lot of times, I would leave. I would just leave for weekends. Um, I didn't care. I just left. Uh, so when I was 14, I was, you know, in high school and, uh, and, um, just totally out of control. And, um, I got expelled from school or suspended or something. Surprise, surprise, because I was fighting. Surprise, surprise. I mean, who doesn't do that when they're drinking and using and they're like totally out of control. Um, but again, I didn't think I had a problem. And so I was hanging out with one of my friends and I was totally finally being suspended from school because it like totally fit because that meant that, Um, I could do whatever I wanted all day long while my mom mom was at work. So that's what I did. So we came up with this great plan. And our plan was, uh, we were going to go to Puerto Rico. And the reason we were going to go to Puerto Rico is because we had heard that you could drink and use drugs there all the time. And that's what, I mean, what 14-year-old doesn't want to go to Puerto Rico, right? So we make this plan to go to Puerto Rico, and we're going to steal my mom's credit card, we're going to get a plane ticket, and then we're going to go. And then we decided, well... Um, well, we probably need to kill her so that this way people, like, don't know, you know? Great plan, right? Okay. So, um, so that night I stole my mom's credit card, and, um, and then I tried to kill her. Um, I hit her in the head four times with a hammer, and then I tried to suffocate her to death. I share this with you today, um, because for a long time I carried a lot of shame about that. Those are the lengths that I was willing to go to, to drink and use. I didn't care who you were, but I would do whatever it take and I would take whatever it took to make sure that I could stay drunk or high. You know, when I got sober, they told me that, um, there were going to be a lot of things that I would have to share with my sponsor. And that was the one thing that I didn't want to share. Because if you knew who I really was, then you wouldn't like me. And after this happened, when I was 14, I thought I was crazy. I thought that what needed to happen was they just needed to lock me up and throw away the key. But the doctors kept on saying, no, no, no you're an alcoholic. (laughs) No, 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 no. I'm crazy. I've got some kind of disease, like psychotic disorder or something. So that night my mom took me to treatment and um, it was really, really tough. See, because for a long time I always said, you know, as long as I don't do the things that my brother did, that I wouldn't be an alcoholic. There were all these, like, you know, like yet things. And uh, my family at this point was totally and completely disgusted with me. See, I was, I was the one that really had the problem now. And, um, I got back, I got into treatment, I started going to meetings. My mom let me come back home, and, um, and, and things were okay. Um, but nothing changed. You know, I, I would go to meetings, and I would like hear the steps, and I would share, and I would be in all this pain, but, I never, I never, like, I never changed. Um, I never found a higher power, nothing. And so, of course, as time goes on, I think I had, like, I think the most I ever got at that time was, like, six months of sobriety. And um, I did what I always did. One night I went out, and um, I was doing that whole double life thing again. And one night I went out, and my mom caught me, and she said, you know, the way it works here now is you can't be in my house if you're not sober. And so I said, all right, fine. And so I lived on the streets for a year and a half. Um, you know, in the book, it talks about uh, the great obsession of every alcoholic is to be able to drink normally. And oftentimes they pursue that under the gates of insanity or death. I pursued it into insanity. Um, being 14 years old and living on the streets... I mean, I can remember, uh, um, you know, waking up in parks with vomit frozen to the ground, my face frozen to the ground, and I would just get up and do the same thing again and again. And I didn't think that I had a problem. I thought that every 14 year old did this. I don't know any 14 year olds who do that. <laughs> so, uh, eventually, you know, it got to the point where I was, I was sick and tired. I was sick and tired of, Waking up and doing the same thing over and over. I was sick and tired of waking up. I couldn't look at myself in the mirror. I wasn't taking showers. I wasn't taking care of myself. Drugs and alcohol were my life. They were the blood that, like, flowed through me. I mean, that's how I survived. And so um, I didn't call my mom. I called my dad because I knew I couldn't go to my mom's because, you know, she was on this, she was on the Al-Anon thing now. So I call my dad. My dad says, sure, you can come back home. So I go to live with my dad. Well, what I didn't know is that my mom had been talking to my dad, and so my dad was in this whole boundary thing. So he says, yes, you can come live with me, but you have to see this therapist, and you have to submit to drug screens. God, seriously? It's not a problem. It's not a big deal. Um, I can I can just do it occasionally. Well, the agreement was no drinking or using. And so I came back, and I lived with my dad. I was going to meetings, but I didn't have a sponsor. Um, and so, surprise, surprise, I use. And uh, what the agreement was is if I tested positive on a drug screen, I'd have to go to treatment. So I went to treatment for 14 and a half months. Um, yeah. And an all-girls treatment center, too. Yay! <laughs> so I was, I was like 15 or so, and um, I'm in treatment, and it's all girls, and I'm there. And, uh, you know, like, the panel was talking about this whole, like, being alone thing. Um, that scared the crap out of me. And when I was in treatment, I was alone. There were no drugs. There were no guys. There was no alcohol. It was me. And I did not like myself. So, uh, I stayed there, and, and, you know, I know that that happened because if it hadn't happened, um, I know that I wouldn't be here right now. I know that I'd be dead. Um so I, I learned all this stuff in treatment and they asked us, you know, to go to meetings, they asked us to get a sponsor. Um we had to do all this stuff and and so I, I did all that. And um I I moved back in with my dad after I got out of treatment. I was um a junior in high school because when I was drinking I had dropped out of school. Um I I don't know, I couldn't go to school when I was living on the streets. So I dropped out of school and I, I went back to school. I was a junior in high school, and uh, it was tough. It was tough being, like, 17, almost 18 years old, sober in high school. Uh, I mean, looking and watching these people, like, drink and use, and I was like, why can't I do that, you know? Why why can't I just, like, do it once? I mean, and still today, put me in a room with a bunch of people that are drunk, like, I don't want that. But put me in a room with people that are slipping on a glass of wine, that's what I want, you know? I want to be able to control it. And so, like that, that obsession was still there. So I, I continued to go to meetings and I stayed sober. I think maybe like um, seven or eight months after that. I, I can't really remember. And um, and and within um, that time, I mean, the thing that happened and nothing changed. You know, I was still hanging out with the same people, still thinking, well, I can go to parties and be okay. You know, um, I can go and. TP somebody's house and not have to worry about it. My sponsor told me I needed to put it on my four step and I need to make amends and I'm like, no way. I'm not telling somebody I TP'd their house. Um it was just it was hard to try to figure out like how do you be a sober person like recovering with dignity and grace and go to high school. Like how does that how do you do that? Um and so I went back to drinking and within like the first couple of months I got a DUI. Um but yet again I didn't have a problem. See, cause I wasn't drinking every day. Um, I really, really thought that alcoholism was about the consequences. I did not get that it wasn't about the consequences. It was what, it, it was about what happened once I took that drink. Um, I had an allergy to alcohol. So time went on and, and of course, you know, there was a progression. I mean, my, within like a couple of months, I was drinking daily. Um, I was hiding alcohol. Like, I wouldn't go and hang out with friends unless I knew there was going to be drinking going on there. Uh, and I had, like, these crazy things going on, too, where it was, like, um, uh, I would dig holes. Like, I, I went to college, and uh, I thought that people were trying to take my alcohol. And so I would dig holes outside of my college dorm and hide my alcohol because I thought people were going to take it. Um I remember one of my friends caught me, and she's like, why are you doing this? And I said, because you guys are going to know where my alcohol is. And she's like, well, who cares? And I'm like, well, you guys are going to take it. And she's like, we're not going to take your alcohol. And she's like, well, where did you hide it? And I'm like, I have no idea. I don't remember. So
1: it was bad. I mean,
0: like, you know you have a problem when you're digging holes to hide your alcohol. I mean, um. But again, like, all these, like, abnormalities became normal to me. Like, I started to normalize all of this stuff. And, uh, and it got, it got really bad. Um, but I met a guy. Yeah. And, uh, and it was great. And, and so I stopped using drugs because I knew that drugs were the problem. You know, like, alcohol wasn't the thing. So I stopped doing drugs and I started drinking and, um, and it just, it was bad. Um, you know, somebody was talking about taking hostages, and I didn't take hostages, I took prisoners. Um, and it was like, it was like third world country kind of stuff. You know, like I would abuse you and use you, uh, because I did not want to look at myself. And, and that's what I did. You know, I, I treated this guy like crap. Um, and so he kind of caught on to like what was going on because at this point, um, I was hiding my drinking, um, I would pick up, uh, you know, a 12-pack or a 24-pack before I go to his house and down all that because I knew that if I drank that much when I was there uh, that he would say something. Um, a lot of my friends stopped talking to me because they couldn't stand to be around me um, because I would get so drunk I would black out and become belligerent. Um, and so I lost a lot of friends. So uh, here we are, the weekend that was my last drunk. and. Uh, Waking up that morning. And well, all I could remember was what it was like when I went into treatment when I was 14, like 15 years old for 14 and a half months. And, and I didn't work the steps and I didn't change, but there was some serenity and peace. I mean, there was a little bit. And I remember that and that's what I wanted. And so I knew what I had to do. Um, it took me a week to find meetings. I remember I called my mom, and I was like, I think I'm going to go to meetings again. Do you know where any are? And she's like, well, didn't you go before? Yeah. Don't you think you can find them? Yeah. <laughs> call central office. Okay. Um, and then I called the treatment center I was in, and I'm like, can you guys tell me where some meetings are? And they're like, call central office. And I'm like, okay. So I I, fi- I went to the meeting that I used to go to, and um, I remember walking in, and it was the coolest thing. I hadn't been there in like two and a half, three years. And all they said to me was, welcome back, where have you been? So I sat down, and uh, this guy told a story, and the aisle was so long. I mean, it was like, it must have been a 100 feet long. And they asked if anybody wanted um, to pick up a white chip, if anybody had a desire to stay sober for today. And so I picked up a white chip. And um, I started my journey. And, uh, you know, a lot has changed since that time. Uh, when I came in, I wore a baseball cap, and uh, I wore it down over my head, and I wore overalls all the time. And I never showered, and I never brushed my teeth. And uh, I didn't have any relationships, and I hated myself. This program has given me everything. Um, Alcoholics Anonymous and the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous is my family. I grew up in AA. I am a product of this program. So I started going to meetings and uh, one of the first meetings I went to was a woman's meeting. They were crying. (laughs) (laughs) Uh And they were hugging. And they were, like, talking about feelings. And I'm like, oh, I am not like them. And so, like, after the meeting, you know, they, like, pass around this newcomer packet. And so after the meeting, they all come up to me. Oh, we're so glad you're here. And I'm like, oh, God, don't touch me. <laughs> and they're like, let us get your number. And I'm like, okay. And, um, and so I'm in college. And, you know, I kept on thinking, I mean, like, how am I going to do this? Like, everybody I know drinks. Like, how am I gonna not drink and use in college? I mean, how do you, how do you do that? I'm 22 years old. Like, does this mean that I can't ever drink for the rest of my life? Like, when I'm married? Like, when I have a wedding? I mean, like, what does this mean? And so, people just told me one day at a time, you know? And so, uh, I'm walking on, on the campus, and this is like Monday, like one of the, I remember this, like it was yesterday. And it was, like, three or four days after I had stopped drinking, and this lady called me. And I answer the phone, and I'm like, hello? And she's like, Allison? And I'm like, yeah? (laughs) wasn't sure who it was. And she was like, this is so-and-so from the meeting. I just wanted to say it was so nice to meet you, and I hope you'll come back. And I'm like, did this lady just say she wants me to come back? Like, when was the last time someone said, come back? (laughs) Um... And so so eventually, like, after I've been sober a month, um, I got a sponsor. And uh, I swore this time that I was going to do everything different. I wasn't going to just memorize the book. Um, I wasn't just going to go to meetings. Like, I was going to do it all different. And so uh, a sponsor was appointed to me. And uh, this this lady, her name was Deb. And I was her first sponsee. And Deb was an awesome lady. Uh, she was an ordained minister. And... She never once pushed religion onto me, ever. She never told me that I had to do anything. She never told me I was an alcoholic. Um, all she did was suggest. And so I remember when we first sat down and we started working the steps, and uh we started on the steps, step two, and this whole, like, power greater than me. And... uh she asked me, she was like, so what is your conception of a higher power? And I, I said, well, um, I think there's something out there. I think it's bigger than me. And I think maybe it might like me. Maybe. And she was like, okay, well, that's a good place to start. And uh, the way that she explained it to me was, you know, like when you go into a meeting and you ever see people who are really struggling and they, they raise their hand and they share about it, and in that moment in time, that group is a power greater than them because they have more experience than that person does at that point in time in staying sober. I was like, yeah, I get that. She was like, so use that as your power right now. That group is a power greater than you because all of those people know how to stay sober and you don't. I totally understand that. Um She told me things like um, I had to go to a meeting every single day. And I say, I had to. She recommended it or suggested it, but it was like, this was like live or die for me. Um, I didn't want to go back to where I was, so I knew that I had to do everything that she told me. So I took it like, that. it was either that or it was drinking. So I went to a meeting every single day. I had to go to a speaker meeting, a woman's meeting, a 12 and 12 meeting, an open discussion. Um, and I had to get there 30 minutes before and leave 30 minutes after. Every single meeting I went to, I had to get three numbers of three women, and I had to call those women every single day. That was a pain in the butt. Um, Picking up that phone and calling the women and being like, I mean, first off, what do you say? You know, like, okay, I'm 22 years old, and I'm calling this 45-year-old woman. I mean, what do we have in common, right? I'm not going to talk to her about kids. I don't have kids. Um, So I would call them, and I would say, you know, this is Allison. I'm calling you because my sponsor told me to. And they would laugh, and they would say, well, it's really good to talk to you. And then they would ask me questions, and so that's how that started. Uh, where I got sober, at the time I got sober in 2002, there were not a lot of young people when I got sober. Um, there was me and, like, four or five other people. And um, I really, really struggled when I went to meetings because the this idea that um, I was too young to have this, like, kept on creeping in in my mind, you know? and. Uh, and that was a really challenge for me. but So time goes on, and, and my sponsor, um, we're working in step two, step three. I'm in college, and this is how I started my journey with my higher power. And I am going to talk about God. Um, I have a friend who I got sober with, and she said one of the first meetings she went to, she walked in and they were talking about God, and she was like, I didn't come to a God meeting. I'm here for AA, for alcohol. Um, but God is a big part of my story. Um So I'm in college. There's this teacher who, like, really, really, really pisses me off. And um, I'm sitting outside of class, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to test this whole God thing. So I go in the bathroom, and I'm like, all right, God, if you really work, then you're going to help me not get frustrated at this teacher. So I go into class, and class ends. I walk out, and I realize, oh, my God, I didn't get frustrated. Wow, maybe there is something bigger than me. So that's how my journey started. Um, not anything really big or profound. There was no burning bush, nothing like that. But, um, it was, it was big for me. Uh, because for the first time in my life, I knew that I wasn't it. Um, I knew that I had this much power. None. And, uh, and so my sponsor and I, we, we worked the steps. Um, I got really involved in service and, uh, I would do things like clean chairs. Like I'd show up on Saturdays and I'd wash down all the chairs. Um I took meetings to a lot of places. And I did it because they told me that if, if I did service and I gave back, then I could keep what I have. And I wanted to keep it. I didn't want to go back. So we started the four step and um and I remember during this time that guy that I'd gotten sober for, we were still together. And, uh, you know, they recommend that whole, the suggestion is, like, not to be in a relationship the first year. Um, I didn't do it, but I highly suggest it. Um, it was a huge distraction for my recovery. And most of the time I spent worrying about him and what his thoughts were going to be and less on what I was going to do. And so I remember I had six months of sobriety and he and I broke up. And um, I thought it was the end of the world. And I was in the middle of a four-step. And what I'd always heard when I went to meetings was that when people are in the middle of four steps the first time, that that's oftentimes when relapse happens. And I was really, really scared. Because the only answer that I knew was to drink. You know, I didn't... I, at this time, I knew a couple of things, like go to meetings and call your sponsor. But I knew, like, what would take away all of that pain. You know, just like with my first drink, what gave me that sense of ease and comfort. It was it. So, like, I wrote down... And I wrote, and I wrote, and I spent, I spent like a whole week, every single day, working on this four-step. And, um, and I was really scared, too, because there were a lot of things from my past, especially when I tried to kill my mom, that I didn't want to put down. Because during that time, I lost a lot of friends. And, um, and I was really scared that if somebody knew this about me, that they wouldn't like me. So... We went over, I went over to her house, and we're doing the fifth step, and I'm telling her all this stuff, and you know how it talks about, like, you pause, and then you go make sure that you've written everything down. So I'm holding on to that one thing, and so she leaves the room, and I'm pausing, and I'm like, God, I really don't want to do this. Like, I really don't want to tell her this. And so I wrote it down, and I wrote down a whole bunch of other things that I really didn't want to tell. She came in, and I told her, and she looked at me, and she smiled. She said, How do you feel? And I'm like, I feel better. And she gave me a hug and she said, I love you. And that was it. <laughs> I left that night and like the heavens parted and like the angels were singing. And it was like, I was like, I'd never felt that way before, you know? And I had a friend of mine who was going through the, she was going through a fist step too, and we called each other and like, Jen, did you feel it? She's like, I felt it, did you? I'm like, yeah. She's like, I think God loves us. I'm like, I think he does too. (laughs) It was crazy. So, so that started on. Now, that whole double life thing that I talked about, um, that's been a little bit of a problem for me in sobriety. Um, and the double life has come into play, like, with relationships, um, and, and, the first, like, six months of my recovery, and I don't suggest this to anyone, um, I used to go to bars. I would go to a meeting, and then I'd go to a bar until about 4 o'clock in the morning. And I did that because I didn't know what else to do. Um, I didn't know, like, I couldn't sleep. I I didn't know what else to do. I mean, that had been my life, you know. Um, and so one day I went to a meeting, and these old-timers where I, where I come from, they all sit, like, in the back row. And what they do is, like, they wait until, like, the last 15 minutes of the meeting, and then they share. And they don't say anything big, they just say like one or two words, right? And so I'm at a meeting, and this old timer in the back, he shares, and he says, You gotta change your playgrounds, playmates, and playthings. Oh my god, that's it! <laughs> like it was so profound, you know? So, I quit going to bars. <laughs> um, but, but the relationship piece, um, I never worked a program of recovery, at least for the first five years of my sobriety, um, in relationships. That was kind of, like, off the table. Um, and really not because of any reason except that I just, I didn't realize it. Um, you know, like, you know what you know when God reveals it. And God doesn't reveal everything at one time and thank God my higher power doesn't. Because if he did, I don't know if I'd be sober today. Um, so... I had about nine or ten months of sobriety, and um, I met a guy, AA girl met AA boy on AA campus, and we were in love. We were so in love that, like, after one month of dating, we decided let's get married. Makes perfect sense. <laughs> so, not only did we did not only did we decide that, but I got rid of my sponsor and I stopped working Steps because that makes perfect sense, right? Totally, I got this. Um, that is like major problem thinking with me. So, so this goes on, we end up moving in together and, um, and at this point in time, you know, like it was, it was really good to be in a relationship with someone who like got it. Honestly, you know, I'd never been in a healthy relationship before. And, um, this guy I thought got it. So, uh, so within a six month time period, I graduated from college. We moved. Um, I started a new job. Um, he started a new job. Um, I think that's it. It was crazy. It was like a whirlwind. It was so insane. I did manage to find a sponsor during this time. I wasn't willing to work the steps. And she said, well, if you're not willing to work the steps, then you have to at least go to women's meetings. And the reason you have to go to women's meetings is because you have to learn how to be a sober wife. And if you can't learn that from meetings, then something needs to change. So I was at least willing to do that. So we moved to Macon, Georgia. And um, when we moved to Macon, I made a commitment to myself that I was going to get back into the program. And so I go to a meeting. And if you've never moved in sobriety, um, it is challenging. It's like being a newcomer all over again. Um, and you got to go back to basics. Well, I had to go back to basics. So I go to this meeting, and, like, I get phone numbers from women. And I'm at a women's meeting. And I'm sitting there, I'm at my job one day, it's lunchtime, and I do what I know that I have to do. So I call these numbers, right? There's like 30 numbers. I go through the list two times, nobody picks up. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. Why am I doing this? So uh, eventually, I go through the numbers again, and this lady picks up, and her name's Barbara. And she's like this 65-year-old country woman. And she's like, hey! And I'm like, hey! I was like do you know who this is it's Allison from Atlanta she's like I thought you'd never call I'll be your sponsor and I'm like I didn't ask you (laughs) so that's how I got Barbara as my sponsor And, um, and Barbara was an amazing woman she was that lady who she went to the same meetings every week sat in the same chair every meeting everybody knew her she was like a pillar you know she worked the program. And so we got into the book. And we would meet every Tuesday, and we would go through the book. And when I moved to Macon, I learned something about sobriety. Um, see, the people that were in Macon at the meetings that I went to, they came in off the streets. Um, they didn't have jobs to lose. And they were staying sober on the streets. I taught a lady how to read the big book because she didn't know how to read. You know, like these were people that were willing it made me really, really grateful for the life that I had because my life wasn't like that, you know? And these people had nothing, and they were willing to do whatever it took to stay sober. Talk about willingness. And so Barbara and I started going through the steps again. And and um, we got to step four. And so I'm writing everything down. I'm being like this good little student. And so I'm writing everything down, and, and I'm really, really excited. I've got like these two huge notebooks, like 500 pages each, right, front and back totally ready. So I go down, I sit in front of her, we go through the fifth step, I read everything, and she goes, honey, you're still blaming. Rip it up and do it again. And I'm like, excuse me? (laughs) Like, I just spent two weeks on this. Like, I gotta rip it up? But what I learned was, is that it wasn't everybody else anymore. You know, the reason that I drank the way that I drank was not because my parents were the way that they were. And the reason that I treated the way, I treated people the way I treated them was not because of the way they treated me. It was because of my character defects. Like when I got sober and I took the alcohol and drugs away, they were still me. I was the problem. You know, again, God doesn't reveal to us until we're ready. And I was ready. And so we set off onto this vigorous course of action. And, um, I remember when we started looking at character defects. And um, it was really, really challenging for me. I mean, at this point, I'm like 23 years old, you know, 23, 24. And I'm still really young. And, uh, and I'm married. And so, you know, like, how does all this work? How do you be a wife and be sober? And so I'm going to meetings. And, uh, and we sit down again. And uh, I'm getting ready to do uh, the eighth and ninth step. And so I make my list of people, and I think, ah, oh, I'm safe. All these people live up in Alpharetta. I'm a Macon. <laughs> I don't ever have to go back there if I don't want to. <laughs> I don't. I, I don't say that I work the program perfectly. It's like progress, not perfection, right? So, uh, so that's my mindset. Well, um, that next month, my husband at the time asked for a divorce, and my life became very difficult. Um, I called my sponsor, and I didn't know what to do. See, he was in the program, and so she told me that I couldn't go to meetings and I couldn't share about it because I couldn't damage his recovery. And she said, I'm not a marriage counselor, and I can't help you. The only thing that can help you is a power greater than yourself. And she said, that's the only thing that will ever be there that's going to save you from taking a drink. And so she gave me a prayer, and my prayer was, thank you, God, I forgive him. I prayed it. I screamed it. I yelled it. I cussed it every day and every night, and um, I stayed sober. And um, I learned about my relationship with God. See, what I had always done is I had always taken myself and put my character defects onto the problem, and I never taken myself and my problems to my higher power. I never done that. I never trusted my higher power enough to help me with a problem. And so I started to do this. Well, I got divorced, so guess what happens? I moved back to Alpharetta. And, like, within the first, I don't know, two weeks, I see, like, every single person that I have to make amends to. Talk about humbling. (laughs) And um, so I moved back to Alpharetta, and um, at this point I've got, like, two and a half, three years of sobriety. And um, I'm not really sure what I'm going to do. Still not working my recovery on guys. And uh, Barbara and I decided that when I moved that uh, I could keep her as my sponsor as long as I was willing and committed uh, to calling her and going down and seeing her. So I would see her two times a month. I would write her. Uh, Yeah, write. She told me I had to write her every day. So I wrote her. um, And I called her every day at 9 o'clock. And uh, and I went to meetings, and I got a home group. I got involved in service. Um, I became the secretary or the literature person. I don't remember. And um, I made a decision that I wanted to go back uh, to school. So I started going to graduate school. And um, I don't know how many people have been, like, sober going to school, um, but it's kind of difficult. And, uh, you know, it's really hard to make sobriety, like, a priority. And Barbara was really, really old school. So we would get into these conversations because she's like, you know, meeting makers make it. And you got to go to a meeting every day. And I'm like, Barbara... I'm, like, in school, like, full-time. I'm doing an internship 25 hours a week, and I'm working full-time. How am I going to do this? Um, and at that point in time, I got really angry at AA, too. Um, I didn't like the people in the rooms. I judged people a lot. I still came around, um, but I was still pretty sick. And uh, and so I, I'm doing all this, and uh, I end up in a relationship. And um this guy is not in the program. He uh drinks and smokes pot. And I'm thinking, it's not really that big of a deal. I can be with somebody like that. So New Year's Eve, I've got five years of sobriety, um, and I'm standing there, and I'm holding two beers in my hand, and I think, did I really get sober for this? Did I really get sober to be in a relationship with someone who drinks and uses? My life was totally not congruent. And so I left the me- or I left him, I went to the meetings, and everybody was there to help me. Nobody judged me. And they just said, Are you ready to work your recovery in relationships? <laughs> sure. <laughs> and so part of what Barbara and I talked about was that I needed to seek some outside counseling. And so that's what I did. And um I worked the twelve steps on relationships, but I also sought counseling for that as well, because there were things that I needed to work through. Um that I couldn't work through just working the 12 steps. And so I started on that journey, and things started to change. Um, I'm going to cry again. So in June of um, 2009, Barbara passed away. And what I learned through her death, is that no human power will keep me sober. Sorry, guys, I miss her so much. You know, I called her every day at 9 o'clock. And whenever I had a problem, guess who I called? My sponsor, right? She was the only person in my recovery that knew everything about me. She taught me how to be a woman recovering with dignity and grace. Thanks. (laughs) This is why I love AA. (laughs) Um, I really clung to my group at that time, and and through Barbara's death, I learned about the third-step prayer. Um, That was her favorite, favorite prayer. And uh, I learned about my relationship with God. And so I clung to my group, and I clung to the old-timers. And they just told me to keep on coming back. And eventually I found a new sponsor, Kathy. And I love her to death. She's not Barbara, but I love her to death. And, um... And what I know is that she's not going to keep me sober. What I have to do is I have to work the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I have to develop that relationship with my higher power. It doesn't stop. You know, when my sponsor died, I thought about drinking more than I ever had in my life. And the only thing that kept me from not drinking was God. I hit my knees every single day. So through that, I finished graduate school, and um, the really, really cool thing was that doctor when I was uh, 13 that my dad, or 14, that my dad was talking to that was doing drug screens, um, I got a job with him. I went to graduate school, and I became a licensed professional counselor, and um, I went to work in an alcohol and drug treatment center with adolescents and young adults, and I finally got to do what I wanted to do, and um, all because of sobriety, you know? Um, as a result of staying sober, I've developed a relationship with God, um, I've developed a relationship with people, I've developed a relationship with my family, I mean, my mom's here with me today, you know, um, that never would have happened if I hadn't gotten sober and I hadn't worked the 12 steps. I'm super, super involved in service, um, and I'm super, super involved in sponsorship, and I do that because... I want AA to go on. AA doesn't need me, but I need it. And, uh, you know, this program saved my ass in so many situations. So uh, so as time goes on and I start working on myself and I start looking at my character defects and I start looking at uh, relationships um, and I start understanding about what my motives and my intentions are with guys, um, things start to change. And... You know, I, I'm big on, like, I can work a program when everything's going good, but when the crap hits the fan, it's a totally another story, you know? And so, uh, so what ended up happening is um, I ended up meeting this guy, and uh, he's not in the program, um, but uh, he's a healthy uh, person, and he teaches me how to be a healthy person. And uh, we got married in August, and um, it's really, really cool to uh, work the traditions and work the program in my relationship, you know? Um, It's cool that uh, we can pray together, um, that I can talk to him about the program, um, that he supports sobriety, and that we can talk about our character defects, you know? I mean, when I was in relationships before, you never talked about that kind of stuff, you know? Um, It was always the other person or whatever it was. Um, you know, today it's really simple. Um, I wake up, I hit my knees, I ask God to keep me sober today, and I say some prayers for other people. Um, I go to a meeting, I go to work, I have a bank account, (laughs) um, I have a job, (laughs) I have a spouse, (laughs) I have a car, (laughs) um, and I can look at myself in the mirror, you know, I have me back. Um. And then at the end of the day, I come home, I hit my knees, and I go to bed. Um, I try to keep it really fresh. And so, like, before I do this, um, I always go to the bathroom, and I always hit my knees on the bathroom floor. Um, and I do that because, you know, when I was drinking and I was using, my knees were on the floor all, all the time. And um, I got to remember where I came from. Just because I have, you know, some time behind me um, doesn't really mean anything. And I... You know, what they said was, whoever got whoever woke up the earliest this morning is the most sober. Um, I woke up at, like, 8 o'clock Georgia time, so. Um, but that doesn't mean anything. So um, there's one thing that I want to read, and then I'm going to end. And I'm going to read out of the big book. And this is out of um, Bill's story, and this is after Ebby's come and talked to Bill. And I read this because this sums up, like, what my experience has been in Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, So it says my school my schoolmate visited me and I fully acquainted him with my problems and deficiencies. We made a list of people I had hurt or toward whom I felt resentment. I expressed my entire willingness to approach these individuals, admitting my wrong. Never was I to be critical of them. I was to write all such matters to the utmost of my ability. I was test I was to test my thinking by the new god consciousness within. Common sense would thus become uncommon sense. I was to sit quietly when in doubt asking only for direction and strength to meet my problems as he would have me. Never was I to pray for myself, except as my request bore and my usefulness to others. Then only might I expect to receive, but that would be in great measure. My friend promised when these things were done, I would enter upon a new relationship with my Creator, that I would have the elements of a way of living which answered all my problems. Belief in the power of God, plus enough willingness, honesty, and humility, To establish and maintain the new order of things were the essential requirements. Simple but not easy. A price had to be paid. It meant destruction of self-centeredness. I must turn in all things to the Father of Light who presides over us all. These were revolutionary and drastic proposals. But, But the moment I fully accepted them, the effect was electric. There was a sense of victory, followed by such a peace and serenity as I had never known. There was utter confidence. I felt lifted up as though the great clean wind of a mountaintop blew through and through. God comes to most men gradually, but his impact on me was sudden and profound. Thanks, guys.